Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing the consumer shift away from big open platforms to more personal, private community spaces and what that means for brands, startups and consumers alike. To discuss this, I'm joined by Greg Eisenberg, entrepreneur, VC and co-founder of community's design firm, Late Checkout. Greg also writes the Late Checkout newsletter on Substack, which is a must read for anyone interested in the future of online community. So welcome, Greg. Um, first of all, perhaps you could tell me a little bit about what Late Checkout does and what inspired you to start the company. Totally. So thanks for having me. Um, Late Checkout has three business units. The first is uh, we have a, a fund where we acquire one profitable internet company per year. The second is we have a product studio. And what a product studio means is we come up with ideas for internet communities or marketplaces for particular verticals, um, and we fund them and we build them ourselves. And the third is uh, we have an agency, and the agency partners with, you know, sort of big brands or startups who want to do things like design sprints around communities or just flesh out ideas for their particular vertical. And we started uh, Late Checkout in 2020 because. Um, as you know, there's just so much opportunity right now when it comes to, you know, people physically away from their communities, you know, think, you know, the first one that comes to mind is just because I'm uh, right next to a church and this particular church that I'm in is closed, um, and has been closed for, I guess, some months. So, you know, think about all those people who, you know, go to that church, you know, day in, day out for years and years, you know, they're missing that part of that community. So uh, the flexibility of late checkout allows us to buy, build, and design, um, which allows people like me who is super creative to, to have a lot of fun. So you talk there about verticals, and obviously there's a lot of different ideas behind that, that, that word. When it comes to verticals uh, in terms of community, what are you specifically looking at? Is it, uh, is, is it sort of people's interests, passions, or, or something, something more than that? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. If we take a look back around the history of the internet, the internet actually started off being really weird and cool and community oriented, you know, in the 90s um, and even the early 2000s. But what ended up happening with, um, you know, monolithic sort of large tech companies like Facebook is we almost created like the Walmart of the internet or the Starbucks of the internet where you know vc backed social networks their desire was you know to grow 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 and by virtue of that you know they created phenomenal businesses um but i think what's happened over the last few years is there's been this you know change from i want a cup of <laughs> a cup of joe from starbucks to like a cup of a cup of coffee from my local coffee shop and that experience is the vertical community experience that I think you're seeing a lot of success over the last couple of years. So when I talk about a vertical, what I'm talking about is, you know, instead of creating Facebook groups, how do you create, you know, going back to that church example, it's like, how do you create something for that particular community that is purpose built, keyword purpose built, meaning you go deep to try to understand, 
you know, what do these people want? How do they come together? What are their burning needs? And there's a lot of tools and ways to do that. And I'm happy to talk about it. But I think it's like, you know, the goal of a vertical network is if you build something that you can show it to, let's say, you know, I'm in Miami. So like a, you know, 40 year old churchgoer um, and they look at this product and they're like, wow, this makes me feel at home. This is so cool. I want to tell all my church going friends, then you've succeeded. So finding these, finding these smaller communities is obviously part of your job, but you've also been very sort of generous in sort of giving away or, or explaining your roadmap for how you've been going about doing this in particular, your, your strategy of unbundling uh, bigger networks like Reddit and Udemy. Um, so, I mean, for those who, who may not know Reddit too well, it's, it's a, it's a huge community um, based platform where you can start uh, what's called a subreddit, a sort of mini forum based around anything that you want. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of these subreddits out there, some with four people on them, some with 200,000 million people on them um, for any kind of interest, passion or quirk or fetish, <laughs> shall we say, that you might be interested in. Um, and your strategy that you've been talking about quite a bit on your newsletter and on other um, podcasts is this idea of unbundling those uh, subreddits and creating bespoke hubs, bespoke platforms um, away from Reddit itself to service those, those community members much better. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first published the unbundling of Reddit idea on, on the Substack, which was this idea around, you know, you have all this data out there. You can actually go on places like there's a website called redditlist.com, which attracts all the sort of trending subreddits and new subreddits. So you can actually go on there. The data is there. You can kind of poke around and see what's trending and then, you know, go into these subreddits and, and travel basically to them um, and understand communities. And I wrote that post. Um, I got a lot of feedback from, you know, the VC community and, and even the founder community of people being like, why did you just open source that idea? <laughs> um, and, you know, from my perspective, it, the, the, the internet is, a, is in a much better place is if, if we do create more of these purpose built networks. Um, and even though late checkout has the flexibility to create, you know, many companies per year and buy companies, et cetera, I don't think we can do it on our own. <laughs> so that's why I put that stuff out there. And I think, you know, it's a unprecedented, um, unprecedented time where, um, there's just, you know, consumer demand for digital vertical networks or digital products even if we if we rewind back to you know not even that long ago a few years ago the narrative um was that people don't download apps anymore um that you know people had their apps and that was it this is sort of this was in the 2017 2018 2019 time frame um and when I say like the narrative, I mean from literally the world, some of the world's leading venture capitalists were saying this and, 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 and people. So, you know, now we're just seeing such thirst for some of these products. Um, and I'd encourage people, you know, if, you know, if, 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 you know, I just encourage people to start building. It could be large brands who are trying to expand into new categories. 
It could be, um, you know, you work at a big company and you want to do a side project and you're passionate about maybe it's your church or, or whatever it is you're interested in. Um, I was like deep in a pop tarts Reddit subreddit today. And I was reading about like all the, <laughs> just all the funny quirks and memes and stuff like that. Um, my point is, um, the opportunities out there and it's for the taking. So sticking with Reddit just for a second, what, what is it that you think Reddit can't do that, um, a more specific bespoke vertical, um, focused platform can, I mean, is, is there something that Reddit is failing to capitalize on here or is it just case that it's just too big in your opinion to service everybody well? Yeah, I think, I mean, if I was Reddit, what I would be doing would be, I would, I would enable the community owners or the subreddit owners to have the utmost of flexibility to create the spaces that they want. So the thesis being not all groups or not all communities are created equal. Therefore, how do you give them the tools to customize it to the way that they want, that they're able to do whatever it is they want. If they want to monetize on it, they should be able to monetize on it. If they want to, um, you know, make it with augmented reality, they should be able to do that. You know, so I think they if they want all posts to disappear like Snapchat or, or Instagram stories in 24 hours, maybe they should be allowed to do that. So I think, you know, that's what I would be doing if I were them. I think they've done a little bit of it where you can customize rules and you can customize a bit of the look and feel. Um, but I think they've just scratched the surface. And I guess the issue there is that, you know, the more features you add, the, the harder it is to, to, to bring more new people on who may not understand what's going on. I mean, we see this a little bit with TikTok, I guess, where there is just so much that you could do with that platform. Um, that it can be a little intimidating for anyone who's not a kind of, uh, you know, app native like me, for example. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I is, that, with, is that, um... with, Sorry, uh, with, yeah, with Reddit in, in as an example, like, I think it's okay that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be everything to everyone, you know, I think like, that's the point is that, like, we thought that, 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 that was the future of the social web, which was that there was going to be, you know, two to three dominant, you know, two, three, four dominant social apps. And that's where people would hang out. And it's true. That is actually, we were right with that. What we were wrong about is that not only did we have a Swiss army knife of, you know, social apps that we would go to, like, like the Instagrams and the Reddits, but we'd also have this other set of Swiss, Swiss army knife of just really, you know, bespoke communities and vertical networks that are independent and almost like, almost like, um, you know, the difference between like mainstream games and indie games, you know, mainstream games are like your, you know, electronic arts makes like Madden 2020 and it's huge or, you know, Activision makes Call of Duty. But there's this community of people who create these indie games that are just these small shops of people passionate about, um, you know, these these particular topics, and and some of them are able to see a lot of success. Well, yeah, success is something that I'm interested in discussing with you because I guess you know, uh, I, I, obviously, I've written a lot about this for Stylus in terms of this uh, shift to what 
Sarah Wilson um, sort of dubbed digital campfires. And it's a, it's a very compelling idea and it sort of chimes very well with what we're seeing in terms of people wanting more privacy, you know, less algorithms sort of screwing around with their feeds, no, you know, less of that kind of desire to chase followers and, and likes and so forth. Um, but then you get to the point where what does a small community how does that scale and what does success look like for a small community? Does it just get big or, you know, are you looking at having to cap these things to keep that same uh, atmosphere going? And if you do have to do that, you know, how, how do you, how do you gain success from that? I mean, I'm interested in this idea of, you know, what scale looks like in, in sort of more niche verticals. Yeah. I think, you know, the first thing is that, I'm not convinced that all of these businesses require venture capital. Whereas traditionally in the, in the social world, you know, you look at every major social network, it has raised venture capital as, as funding the business. I think it's okay to start a network, not raise venture capital and cap it at some, some level, you know, the word cap doesn't, is not in the, in the vocabulary of a venture capitalist, um, unless you're talking about a convertible note where there's a cap on evaluation. So, you know, but venture works by growth, right? So, um, you know, I, I believe that, that, you know, it, you can create products that hit some amount of scale, but aren't Facebook that are not venture backable. I believe that, um, you know, once you do hit that point where it does feel like a, you know, a, a party, a cocktail party with too many people or, and it feels weird and you're start, you're starting to lose what made that particular community great. I mean, that's a really tough problem. It's what we call like a champagne problem because, um, you know, basically, you know, you're at, you, 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 you've got some success. Um, I think, you know, community leaders need to be very in tune with their community and, and really understand what's happening and once they and understand what is that breaking point and when it, and, and, and actually not get there because it's hard to go back. Um, once you hit there, um, that point, and I've seen it with many communities, it's, it's almost too late and you might, you might lose everything. Um, so I, I would say... To, to, to people thinking about building these networks, um, you know, when you're designing them, think about what is that number, um, you know, in, there's the, uh, there's the, what's it called, Dunbar's number. Um, I don't know if you know, but basically it's that concept that like, you know, every person has max 150 relationships. Um, so even though we have a thousand Facebook friends or a thousand Instagram followers or whatever, we really only like, have max 150 relationships. And we probably have a similar Dunbar number for communities where a community like maxes out at a certain point. And maybe that, maybe that Dunbar number or late checkout number, whatever you want to call it, um, is, you know, different per community, right? So like what, what matters to the church community in, in Miami might be a completely different one than um, the Pop-Tart community is an example. So, I, I mean, one of the other ways, I suppose, that you can better manage your community growth is to is to be slightly more selective about who you let in, uh, which is not a very kind of um, internet 
friendly idea in, in a way, um, but we're seeing it, especially with new voice app um, uh, communities like Clubhouse, for example, being the most infamous one, where you know the the selection process of, of getting in a member of Clubhouse is pretty opaque. I'm still waiting for my <laughs> for my invitation. Um, I mean, it's at the moment it's mostly kind of insider uh, tech Silicon Valley people, which is you know fine. That's what they want to do, but clearly it's a little bit exclusionary, and they get a lot of of shit for it um, as a result. Uh, what do you think of that approach? Is that sort of against the sort of beautiful community, open community ideals that we've been basing the internet on for, for the past 20 years? Or is there a necessity for that in this era of smaller, more private network needs? I mean, in theory, I love the idea and the romantic idea of like, it's all open and anyone could join and it's amazing and there's unicorns and it's great. It's, but in, in actual community design, it's so hard to create that place where it feels like it's, it's working and it's, and it's fun and it's, and it's happy and, and it, that magical experience that it's really, it really is important to create some sort of, you know, bar or velvet rope. Um, when, you know, when, when you are creating a lot of, I mean, not every new community, but some new communities, because, you know, and if, if you go back to like the anal the real world, the analog world, like, I mean, a lot of our world is, is curated in that sense. Like when you created, when you create a house, you know, cocktail party, you're inviting a particular group of people or, you know, even, you know, the church in Miami is self-selected in the sense of like, it's curated, it's that particular neighborhood, it's this people. So, you know, I think it's, it is important to have some level of velvet rope. There's a, uh, there's a great saying by the founder of Studio 54 in New York, who says, um, Studio 54 is a uh, dictatorship at the door, but a democracy on the dance floor. And I think that's what you need to, it's a great way to design a community is in that in mind, you know, make it exclusive upfront in the sense of like you're curating each and individual, but you know, once you get in, you want to make sure that all different types of diverse people um, have the ability to express themselves. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I mentioned gatekeepers, not just because of, of, of what I've been seeing with, with Clubhouse and so on, but also because a lot of our listeners are from brands, they're marketers, they're designers, they're heads of innovation and so forth. So they're looking at community from a, from a brand perspective. Um, and that makes them a kind of gatekeeper, I guess. Uh, so I'd be interested to, to hear how you think a brand can sort of leverage this idea of, of targeting uh, you know, even even go so far as to say, you know, could could they be um, uh, actively unbundling Reddit? You know, as uh, following your strategy, is there is there a, a a way for brands to embrace this and, and use this idea? Yeah, absolutely. So, if I'm a brand in 2020, and I, there's one in 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 mind that I'm thinking of that is a is a really large brand that we work with on the agency side, and the way we've kind of like mapped out. Um, how, how they should be thinking about it. I'm happy to open source on this, on this podcast. Um, so, you know, 
every brand connects to a particular group of people and every group of people have a certain set of um, touch points and milestones with that particular brand. So I'll give you an example, like, you know, Nike, Nike is their mission, I think is like to enable movement. And, you know, they built, they create products to enable movement. If you think about it, like Nike running club or, um, choose, you know, Air Jordan, you know, Jordan, stuff like that. But if you map out all like, you know, from, from, you know, uh, young, young children to, you know, older adults, there's all these different moments where movement means different things to you. And you might be at these crossroads. And where, when you, when you're at crossroads, that actually creates really interesting opportunities to for brands specifically to host uh, vertical networks around that and make it about that particular um, life achievement or um, you know just change in you know milestone or if you want to call it um, so and then and then kind of like you know sponsored by brand you know insert brand you know it's always like community first and then the brand so I think like Nike, for example, has done a really good a job. Like the Nike Nike Running Club app is designed to bring um, runners together. Like there's a utility there. Like you can share that on social. Um, so when you go for a run, you share it on social. Um, that gets the Nike brand out there. That gets more people to join. And then like what they end up doing with you know the millions of people that use Nike Running Club. Like I don't know. But if I were them, I'd probably like enable you know, them to host, you know, events in real life and enable, you know, buying and sell, you know, buying and selling shoes, like a marketplace component. I, I'd enable like a social experience. And, you know, so my feedback and advice to the brands that are listening is to think about those moments and to run, you know, product design sprints around it, two to four week, you know, sprints around what what would that look like and and then start showing it to customers yeah i mean i think that's a great i mean you know we we we're just about to publish um a, a, a three report series on on community and commerce and you know i i agree that this is it's it's community is now sort of more important in a way than uh social for brands you know you can be a broadcast you can broadcast your message on social as a brand but it's far more important now to be building not followers but club members community members and creating these long-term more long-term relationships um now with that obviously there, there comes the sort of devil's advocate question of if every brand is doing this and every brand is is getting successful at doing this you know how many communities can people join you know if you are a fan of nike and apple and uh you know patagonia and ben and jerry's are you going to be a member of all of their communities as well um is there a limit to 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 what people can can how many niche digital campfires people can be in yes absolutely and <laughs> i think like you know what's happening what's going to happen and is happening is you're going to see a lot of brands just do a really poor job and those those brands are gonna lose um and the brands that are gonna win like the nikes of the world are gonna win big i think um you know you could have 
if this was 10 years ago, you could have said the exact same thing, but with social instead of community. Well, if every, if every brand is going to have a social account, why would we follow a thousand brands? Right. And the truth, the truth is you don't, you don't follow a thousand brands. You follow the five to 10 brands that you actually care about, um, and connect with. Um, so it's going to be the exact same. It's a whole new era. It's a new chapter. Um, there's going to be winners and losers, you know, good luck to the ones, good luck to everyone. Cause it's, it's, it's a wild west. And I don't think there's, um, all the right, I don't think, you know, I think we've learned a lot with what to do with social and audience building at this point, but I still think that there's, there's still, you know, it's still early days in community building. So, um, yeah, good luck. Every, every brand needs a chief community officer at some point, I guess. I mean, you know, the way I see it is like audience there's to me, there's audience and then there's true community and audience is really important because you know, the Instagrams and Facebooks of the world, because you can get your message out there. But I'd much rather a true community of like diehard people who like are spreading my message um, than, than a big audience. I mean, I, we're seeing that, all, all, you know, a lot where, you know, for example, I'm, I know uh, I'm involved in a company that has millions of followers on Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, it's great that they have millions of followers, but like, what does that translate to? You know, um, mm. if I'd rather, I'd rather have 50,000 followers who are diehard and, and, you know, they like 50% of my posts are like, so they get 25,000 likes. And, you know, if I do like a drop with a max, a thousand, you know, I'm selling, let's say like t-shirts, they're just like, it's sold out within a minute. Like that's, that's what I want. I want like cult like followings. And that, and that, and that, and community is such an important part of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, before we finish, I just wanted to sort of circle back to how you began talking about the obvious situation that we're all in <clears throat> doing so much virtually now and unable to meet up. Um, and I mentioned that because you, you have just launched something called nice break, um, for virtual events. So it'd be great to just sort of finish by hearing a little bit about, about that. Yeah, so Nice Break was, we built Nice Break because, I mean, one of the reasons is, well, actually, going back to what we were originally talking about, unbundling of Reddit, we, we, you know, we saw through a subreddit that, you know, people were looking for ways to keep their teams engaged now that everyone, a lot of people are working remote. And you know, what is the, what is the digital equivalent of a happy hour? It's definitely not a zoom happy hour because that doesn't feel that fun. So we said we created nice break. Nice break is basically like virtual events for team bonding. So you go on the website, nicebreak.fun. Um, we've vetted every single experience. They're all with like corporate bonding and, you know, designed in mind. You can do anything from like, you know, there's like a virtual petting zoom, which is a funny one. Um, so, you know, bringing animals on, there's a, you know, comedy writer that does one, one, a very famous internet celebrity comedy guy who like, will, will, will do comedy with your team. And there's just like, there's a bunch of stuff. And 
you know, I'm excited about it because, and, and people are excited about it, I think, because um, it's sort of the next step of, I mean, I think, I think we're all realizing that a lot of us are going to work from home for a long, a long period of time. And, and uh, it's an opportunity to have fun. Great. Well, that sounds brilliant. I'm, I, I, I'm definitely going to uh, send that over to our HR department. I, petting Zoom sounds brilliant. Um, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk to me today. I, I'm really excited by what you're doing with Late Checkout. Um, and I urge anybody interested in finding out more um, to check out Greg's Substack newsletter, which is, which is great. Um, so thank you very much, Greg Eisenberg, and thank you for listening. And please join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.